0: Bad All right, are you ready? I am I, I guess it's it's been a gnarly couple of days man but I guess it's going to make for a good episode so we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah it should be interesting. You're you're going through what you're going through and I am recovering from a concussion so I might not fully be here. Perfect. <sighs> should be fun and be like juggling no it wouldn't be like juggling grenades. Like, <laughs> it's it's time that we started an episode with one of my bad jokes instead of working my way into it like a failed joke should just begin every show. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it, it makes logical sense in this, in this case because you're physically ravaged and I'm emotionally ravaged. So,
1: You know what's weird is I, I was trying to... I've, I've, you read all these things about like uh, meditation and all this. And I know it's not true, but there's always been this idea that people, at least in the West, thought that the point of meditation was to clear your mind, to have a completely blank mind. Well, today I was trying to remember something. And I closed my eyes and I had a completely blank mind. <laughs> I'm like it's not a thing that you want. It sucks. <laughs> Jeez, like my there's literally like for the first time probably in my life I had zero thoughts in my head. So wow, that's gonna be weird. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So I might uh, get to the point sometimes in this episode where either you're gonna have to save me or there's just gonna be
0: sentences that don't finish. <laughs> I mean, which is totally fine. I I feel like with where we both are, like. There's there's going to be a different pace to this show. I'm not sure which. I, I, I hate to call shows ahead of time because they never end up working out the way you think they will. Um, but I have I have my predictions as to how this is going to go. I'll, I'll keep them to myself though.
1: I have some heavy shit to talk about in this episode, so it's going to be interesting. <laughs>
0: I've oh, been reading as, some oh, very weird oh, shit. As do I, sir. I have heavy, heavy shit, and it's heavy shit in the sense that I mean you couldn't be more right about how much um, digital minimalism is a critical book for me to both read and understand. And in my current situation, it's so much more profound how important that book is in my life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I knew it from the moment that I was, like I said, when I was reading. I'm like, this. It's, it's like, it's almost like you were asking me questions. And then later, I was reading the answers. Uh, hmm. That's, I mean, the, the the connection between the two was that clear that like that's why in the last few days um, I reread it, and I reread uh. it this time for me because it felt like last time almost like I read it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, just the first time I read it, every time I, instead of going oh that's me, I was going oh that's Lamb or oh Lamb needs to hear that. So I don't even know if it the first time it connected with me at all. Sure. Oh, interesting. Plus, I knew you
0: read it, so I wanted to reread it just so I can remember what the hell was.
1: <laughs> I've never, I've
0: never actually had a book and had that feeling, so that's an interesting feeling to have. Like, yeah, I, I want you to describe that one a little bit more as we go through the episode. Like, how and why you felt such a strong, because that's such an empathetic thing to do, especially for a friend, um, in the context of reading a book. Like, it's almost like you're reading it to me, and I feel like when you're reading something to someone, it's a very different experience than reading it for yourself.
1: Yeah, you're not uh, absorbing it.
0: Surely, you know, it's it's kind of
1: you're passing it on. I don't know. That's it. I don't want to get woo woo, but it's, it's almost like an energy thing. You know,
0: like that. Just it moves through instead of stopping. Sure, sure, sure. So you and, become a condu- You become a conduit.
1: Yeah, mental energy. I guess is a way to make it less woo. But you know, like when you're connecting it to someone else, you're not digesting it. Sure. Um so i guess well let's start there. I mean it's that's a pretty big big deal i think the way that i mean the way you described the book to me was would you say like uh,
0: the most important book you've read in a decade or something like that? Probably more so now. Um it might be if, other than because it, books are important for different reasons right? But i feel like with my current state it's it's the book that's fundamentally changed how I am the most um, of any book I've ever read. Not to say that it's the most pivotal book um, in defining who I am and what I care about, but it definitely has made a profound difference in my my understanding of the world that I live in and how I interact with that world.
1: Well, let's let's get into that. I mean, basically, you laid out a criterion. Now let's let's get into the exact examples. I mean, I know one of the things that you told me was
0: was, uh, solitude was a big thing. I don't know if you want to start there. Oh, absolutely! I mean, there's so for anyone who's listening to this episode, I have flaked on Chad twice this week, um, because of the 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 book itself. Uh, because I, I I'm going through some pretty horrifying emotional stuff, and so because of that, um, one of the 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 important axioms in the book is finding and understanding solitude, and using it as a resource to allow your your brain and your emotions to 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 come to terms with things in in a non distracted environment um and and i took that so much to heart that i decided to you know leave the area three different times actually so i i went in many different directions to many different places in order to find the most isolated places I could. And and keep in mind that solitude, when people think of solitude, they think of silence. Um, And that's not necessarily the case. Like in every environment I went to, there was a consistent noise that was out of my control that didn't have things like lyrics or music that I had to pay attention to. And I think within, I, I don't think I really grasped what the word solitude meant until I read that book.
1: Yeah, I think solitude people associate with being lonely. Yeah. But it's, it's I mean, it's, it's similar. It's being alone, but it's being alone with your thoughts, with with sure. yourself. Um, I think one of the examples I uh, know, one of the examples he gives in there is Abraham Lincoln. Um, when he first went into the White House, he was, uh, correct me if I'm remembering some of the details wrong here, lamb uh, He was in the White House all the time, and it was just too damn distracting. And mm-hmm. his, the beginning of his presidency wasn't very good. And then he moved to like a like a house that was it wasn't that far away. It was like I guess he could see the White House from the window. Yep. Um, but it was far enough away that people weren't filtering in, and he had solitude and silence. And that's when he really became or came into his own as a president. That he sure. needed that time to to be. And it makes sense, especially for him. He grew up in a log cabin. You know, being in a city where people were coming in and out of his office all the time, probably not a situation he was used to. Yeah, and especially
0: with the level of hustle and bustle. Have you ever been to DC? No, I haven't. DC is one of the busiest cities I've ever been in, um, and I've and I've been to to what? Wait, let me. Was the the original White House in DC?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think by the time of Lincoln, it was. But yeah, I think I think it
0: was before Lincoln that it moved. But you know, it doesn't really matter. Boynton still stands. Yeah, sure, absolutely, and and especially for a guy like that who who has. Whether intuitively or just by circumstance, understood what solitude was. That had to be such a massive departure, going to a place that was so cluttered and so frantic all the time.
1: And I think uh, one of the one before we lead people's brains astray too much by what I said, uh, we are talking about one specific example. But Cal Newport's example is even though you know Lincoln was born in Log Cabin or whatever, all that stuff. That same solitude we all still need. We haven't. Our, our our brains haven't changed since Abraham Lincoln. We all sure. still need it, even though we grow up in busier worlds. That we don't give a thi- We're not giving ourselves uh, the thing that we need.
0: Which yeah. is yeah, and and it's 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 not just the solitude itself. It's the acceptance of the solitude. And I found that to be something that I didn't quite understand until I started trying to do it. Um, is that being isolated is uh, it, there's there's an acceptance that you have to have you know there's 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 a letting go that you have to that you have to consciously do in order to really take to let the solitude take hold and I actually found that the first couple of attempts I had at it didn't work because I was so used to being distracted by the world um you know I had the impulse to like pull out my headphones and listen to music while I was at the beach or you know i had I had all of these 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 crutches that I had um, that held me that tethered me to to my idea of what solitude was, um, you know, and I, I feel like without the book and without the explanation of what solitude was, according to these, these great minds in, in human history, like I wouldn't have, I would I wouldn't have pursued solitude or, or I wouldn't have pursued or implemented solitude correctly in my life.
1: And I think that one of the most insidious interrupters of, uh, solitude right now is social media and not in the way that people think it is, but in the way that it has infected the way that we we think. Um, for example, a wonderful time for solitude is you've just climbed a mountain. You're by yourself on the top of a majestic mountain with the most amazing view and you take out your phone and take a picture to put it on Facebook. <laughs> so you're, you're denying yourself solitude because you're going, I have to share this. No,
0: no, you don't. That's for you. You earned it by climbing that mountain. You're there. I mean, don't get me wrong, though. Um, Because I am a photographer, um, I think the difference is that it's not the the taking the picture part. It's not the action. That's the problem. It's the intention of the action. So with me, for example, I ended up taking pictures, but I had a camera to do that. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I left my when I went to the beach on that second day, I left my camera in my or I left my phone in my car and took my camera with me. Right, and I found that that that, that experience was so different. Um, with the, the the intention is everything, and I think that that understanding solitude at its core and being able to achieve solitude is not just about action, but it's about the intention of said action. Yes, and 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 I have I've. I'm now thinking about the intentions of everything I do and trying to really understand whether or not the intention... A lot of this comes out in the book, too. Is trying to figure out whether the intention is matching the action.
1: Right. And surprisingly, one of the... Or the biggest example that he uses in the book is the Amish. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised by this. I didn't know this. But the Amish are not anti-technology as people think they are. They're just very selective about why, what technologies they choose to use and whether how it affects their community. Um, what what's the what's the other group that he mentions in uh, Mennonites? Yeah Mennonites. Knew, yeah, Mennonites. There you go. Um, the Mennonites are even more liberal about it because they don't have to ask a council. Yeah. Um, whereas the Amish do, but yeah, I guess they said you know you could go and you, if you go to an Amish place, you might see a kid on rollerblades. Yeah. Um, or they might have a cell phone, and you know one person has a cell phone, but not everybody else does them. Um, it's just they like they, they do exactly what you're talking about. They start at the intention. And I, th- I think that's a really important point when you think about it backwards. Because if we're not doing that, that means that most of us are doing it backwards, which means we are are gathering things, we're using things, we're getting tools, and then finding the intention for them afterwards. That's weird when you think about it that way, isn't it?
0: Well, I mean, it's one of the, the edicts of the book too that, that's pretty clearly stated, which is if you don't find the value in something... Or, or at least, if you don't, if, if if the thing, if the thing that you're trying to do doesn't give you the value of what the intention is, then it's not serving its practical purpose. You know, like social media, for example, being a way for us to to stay connected actually disconnects us much more. So the value for its intended purpose is not particularly high.
1: Right. And I think that one of the examples I used when I read it and we talked about on the show was um, in the context of using it as a way to sell things for your business. You know, if you're putting in 300 hours of Twitter, but you're not making the equivalent of 300 hours back in revenue, then it's not succeeding at what you think it is. So that means yeah. you're actually
0: using it for something else. Well, and 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 then this comes down to to things that I've actually been thinking about a lot when it comes to the 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 relationship that I was in and the end of it and and all this other stuff, right? Trying to understand, trying to understand the the what you're working for and why, and and keeping that in mind as you're working for it. You know, it's, it's, it's defined by these social definitions that are so hammered into us um, that we forget to, to take a step back. And I think that's the biggest thing that I kind of... And I know that everyone that reads this kind of book is going to take something different out of it. But for me, it, it forced me to, to be objective about everything. You know, it forced me to be objective about friendships, about communication, about this podcast, um, about relationships and about the relationship that, that just ended for me. You know, there's, there's a whole host of things that, that, that come out when you take that long, hard look and ask yourself the question, okay, first of all, why did I start doing this? Right. And and the question that follows that and the, the question they have to consistently ask, which is the hardest question to ask is, is it still continuing to do that?
1: Right. I think that what's interesting in having read more, you know, like that was uh, one of the first books I was reading about social media. So having gone deeper in these other areas and then going back and reading it. I think a lot of people are going to think uh, first of all they don't understand what digital minimalism is, but essentially it's doing exactly what, what Lamb's describing you know taking things down to the to strip down to like this is this is actually useful and getting rid of all the extraneous stuff um, so for some people that might seem extreme. I can tell you after reading books that actually go into the psychology of what social media is doing to the world, this book has a
0: really light touch. <laughs> i went back and i'm like oh he could have gone a lot harder he could have gone a lot harder well you know what what's interesting about digital minimalism and, and this tickles a very particular part of me as a person um is that he says it with such eloquence and 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 backs it up with such fantastic examples um and I think that's, that's really tough to do because it's really easy for a book like this to sound really preachy. And I right. think that he does a very good job of not doing that. And it's masterful. It makes me want to go back and read every single one of his books.
1: Right. And I mean, yeah, basically what he's saying, he's saying, here's some ideas and here's ways to think about them. Yeah. And then you go figure it out for yourself.
0: I also um, really like the exercises, by the way. The exercises are, are, are very important. So it's, it's, like a really, it's, a, it's like a really gentle workbook if that makes any sense
1: right yeah very very light on the workbook you know it's not not it's not like the artist's way where there's assignments at the end of everything which is a legit workbook um but what one of the exercises in there i guarantee you almost nobody picks up that book's going to do and it's probably the most important one to do and that's where one section where i felt like he could have gone a little heavier because it's so important but that is the digital detox Mm. which means getting rid of everything for 30 days um, and just completely getting it out of your system and then coming back to it and making these decisions. Because one of the things... I don't know if I... Um, I probably highlighted it, but I don't have any notes for this book in front of me. He says something along the lines of the reason you have to step away from them for 30 days is because being in the midst of it and trying to redefine it, you'll never be able to redefine it because you are in the midst of it. It's, yeah, you can't do it. Sure. It's infecting your thoughts, so you know, like uh, for example, you didn't take 30 days off of Instagram, so technically, like you you haven't really redefined your relationship with Instagram. You've tweaked it a little bit, but you
0: haven't sure. really redefined it. and I, I will say the ones I have redefined are Facebook and Twitter, though.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely have. Um, we'll go, We'll go into those in a different episode, though. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> a really? long story. That's a long story. Well I, I at least have a pretty easy example of of yeah, i mean totally it's, yours it's, for it's, sure. it's, it's something that comes specifically out of the book, which is that when you detox especially for something like Facebook um, upon reintroducing it, you realize how how much you didn't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, like exactly. I so don't I so don't give a shit about looking at anything on Facebook anymore. Like I I maybe so I I, I legitimately detox from it for, you know, not the full 30 days, but I did a a solid three full weeks where it wasn't on my phone at all. And now I don't even have the impulse to look at it on a computer. Like I just don't want to look at it at all.
1: I don't remember, I don't think it was this book. It was one of the other books, but somebody makes a point uh that Something along the lines, he says something similar in this book uh, that when you're using Facebook, it's the illusion of connection. Sure. You're, you're not actually connecting. So you believe you're connecting. Um, but, you know, it is in this book where he's talking about the uh, thumbs up. Yep. Um, yep. When, yep.
0: Was, Absolutely.
1: when they incorporated the thumbs up, it was a way for people to passively interact with things that felt like connection that wasn't actually connection, but gave them more information with mm-hmm. less
0: effort. Well, I think uh, the, the, the easiest way to define that is false positive.
1: Right. Yeah, it's 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 basically a way for you to go awesome and never have to have a conversation. So, it, oh. I mean, it's like the opposite of, you know, like somebody puts up a painting that they've just done. You know, we know a lot of artists' friends. I don't remember anything they've ever painted. Why? Because I just double tapped it. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That doesn't mean I didn't appreciate it, but it was like, oh, but I had no reason to carry on with it. But if I was in the room with them and they showed me their new painting, if I'd be an asshole if I didn't have a five or ten <laughs> minute conversation with them about this painting that they've just showed me that I appreciate, right? Oh, sure. So it, it's 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 like this. Uh, you know, we've become fast passes. You know, when you go over the bridge, mm-hmm. you know, social media is like the fast pass. Like, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool.
0: We don't yeah, have to we, stop the toll booth anymore. Think about even our interactions, right? Like over the last couple of days. So I've been for for I'll give context to people. So I've been calling Chad lately um, instead of texting him. Um, and there's a nuance that comes out of conversation. There's a connectivity that comes from conversation, and that's a big section in the book too. Is 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 setting up time for conversations and and being able to to have proper conversations with people in such a way that are meaningful. Um, What I found is in 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 reintroducing real conversation back into my life that I'd kind of forgotten how to do it. Yeah, I definitely
1: have, and there's I've forgotten how fast a phone conversation is. You know, when 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 text message was first introduced, it was faster than a phone call because we weren't good at texting. We didn't have like all these etiquette rules and stuff that we do now. Mm -hmm. Before, you know, like if I if I needed something, I would just say. Um, what time on Friday? And then the person would send back the time. End of conversation. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> we a conversation. we and we've literally done that over the last few days. Right,
1: but and if you have to do the if you have to do that on a phone, it's not that fast because you're like, hey, how are you? You know, you don't just jump right into that. But now we've gotten to a place with text message where text message isn't that quick anymore. You know, we have to do this, and then you're not sure if the conversation's over, so you send an emoji. You know that uh, the the emoji is like the soft goodbye. You know, it's like yeah. I replied, so I'm not an asshole.
0: But I also acknowledge that this conversation is over. Well, it's, <laughs> it's like it's like liking a comment in it or liking a text message, right? Like it achieves absolutely nothing other than the acknowledgement that I saw it. I totally saw it. Yeah, Thank it's you. like it's like a limp hand job. <laughs> <laughs> so Facebook, just... so Facebook is like a limp hand job. Awesome.
1: <laughs> it's just there. It's just there for the acknowledgement, but it's not really
0: there to achieve anything. Sure, sure. Jeez, wow! wow welcome to Sunday. Yeah, welcome to the Sunday show. Everybody. Yeah, we're, we're recording on Sunday in the afternoon, yeah. which we've never done before. So, and Chad and Chad has a concussion, and I just made a life-changing like. I, th- I think they heard that already. What? You sure you're not oh,
1: the total one with the concussion?
0: I, I might. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, who knows these days? I, you know what the problem is, is that I consistently sleep less than four hours a night for the last. Yeah, you're gonna fix that yeah i am and i'm sleep I'm is more important purely... than solitude oh yeah yeah i mean if you can't if you don't have one you won't have the other um mm-hmm. i'm slowly but surely fixing it and i'm looking for for different ways to do it and i think i'm going to introduce magnesium into to my life in order to achieve that
1: mm, magnesium there's yeah there's calm which is yep. like a magnesium tea and yep. i would also suggest that chamomile
0: lavender that's like yep. and i'm also going to work out slash do yoga too awesome you know, which I always weird, which, appreciate which those. I, I've never had, I've never had the 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 how, how do I say that? I've never had the 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 desire to really get into yoga. Um, but for some reason, it calls to me right now. It's very well, strange.
1: you seem to think that yoga is like a is going to lower your heart rate. <laughs> I can tell you that yoga, you never walk away from a yoga session with a lower heart rate. Huh. Yoga positions raise your heart rate. It's a workout. And even like the calmest, most hippy dippy yoga workout is going to raise your heart rate.
0: Who is the musician that we all that we love that does yoga every day? Is that Nick Cave? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there was somebody. There was somebody that we did an artist profile for way back in the day, and we one of the interesting things that we discovered about him was that he did yoga every day. I know David Lynch meditates twice a day. Yeah, there's he there's an artist out there. There's an artist out there that we don't expect that does yoga every day. Hmm. I, I have get, no I idea. I know I Joe know. Rogan's a fan of yoga. I feel like once you do yoga, it, it becomes indispensable in your life.
1: <laughs> it just when if you've I mean, even just like anybody has gone into something with sore muscles and done yoga, sure. I've never I've I've done physical therapy, I've done all kinds of things. Yoga stretches you in the way that your body's supposed to stretch.
0: That's all yeah. I have to say. <laughs> Interesting.
1: <laughs> uh do you have anything more you want to say about um digital minimalism see there's the there's the confession I mean, pause
0: we we could literally talk about it for the next three days um, it's so important of a book and, and I, I think that, that that I don't do it justice and neither of you when it comes to I mean we, we talk about it in glowing terms but I think there's 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 an urgency to, to wanting people to read it that I'm not really conveying here read the damn book it is so important to your life
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's something when we do books on this show I've, I've I was talking to Liam about this before we started recording. I I start getting into a place where I'm taking so many excessive notes um and bringing in these outlines like I have a four-page outline of one and I'm going oh wait I'm not trying to explain the whole book to people but you know like you read these books and you these ideas fill your head and you want people to read them so you end up like trying to sell the book. Yeah, yeah, sure. When that's not really our job. Our job is just to grab a couple interesting ideas that we can talk about. And talk about them because the conversation is our job. Um, sure. That's that. Even like we talked about solitude, and it kind of led us in other places. But we didn't. That's like one was like one out of ten chapters in the book.
0: Yeah, it's one section of one chapter, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean we've talked about it before, but obviously not. In, we we talked about it even briefer then. So
0: yeah, it's it's weird too. Like I mean, going back to the solitude thing for a second, I I, I think that. I think that there's there's a way to to internalize the feeling of it that, that I don't think I'm I'm getting across very well here, um, and what I mean by that is that man, it's tough to describe, and I have a feeling it's tough to describe because for every person, the experience is going to be a little different, right? Um, but the 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 you hear yourself think, <laughs> yeah, there's like there's... You, you you almost hear your own voice talking back at you. And if you don't feel that, then you're not doing it right.
1: It's kind of like um, was it two or three episodes ago where I talk about the idea of static thoughts, where it's like my I felt like my thoughts were a TV that the vertical hold was off, you know, like it was static uh-huh. and they were broken up into pieces, and then they slowly start coming back together and becoming whole thoughts. For me, that's that's very much it. Uh, solitude brings that, and it also brings something you and I have talked about. This sense of like remembering yourself, like you're Mm -hmm. returning to some part of or some wholeness of yourself that you had lost. And this sounds like very out there, like we're getting very esoteric here. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. But
1: we're actually talking about not spiritual stuff. We're talking about sanity. Like you don't realize that when you don't have enough of the solitude, you're actually operating in a mildly insane state and you don't realize it because you get used
0: to it. I think the the way that I felt it, but the way I physically described it to someone else was that I didn't realize that all of this stuff, like all of these distractions and social media and my phone had created, because it was so gradual, I didn't realize that it had created like a very defined existential crisis. Right. Um, exactly. And, and I feel like for the first time in years, I realized that I'm me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's... it's... And I, Maybe and that's and why it's hard hurt. to explain. Because when people are in it, um, when you're when you're still in that, um, sorry, I'm not meaning to uh, disparage anybody, but I'm going to use the word delusion um, because it, it is the most appropriate word by definition. When you're still in the delusion of it, um, it's hard to see that as not normal. That you're you're actually. In an aberrant state because it feels normal because, like you said, of the gradual onset and the long time of exposure. You know, some of us have been using these things for like ten years. Sure, um, and that's not just social media devices too, of course, and all of these things. Um, so it's really hard to explain these things. It's like explaining to a smoker what it feels like to
0: not be a smoker. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a good example because it's
1: when you're in it, it's it's hard to. Or like, have you ever tried to explain something to a kid about like what it's like to get older and, and mature? Sure.
0: Yeah, that's impossible. <laughs> exactly. Because it doesn't make sense to them. They don't have the context for it. Yeah, they have no perspective by which to understand what you're trying to tell them.
1: And I think that's one of the important parts about why I focused on when I, when I was talking about the book right now. I focused on that detox. Because that detox is where you get the context that you've been lacking. In order sure. to understand what he's talking about in the book and to understand how these things affect you, you have to be able to step out of that state. Because without it, you will always be in the place where it doesn't make sense to
0: you. Which is why, I mean, I'm going to reiterate your point over and over and over again here too. You have to have the detox. It has to happen. And um, it's and, hard. And, yeah, it's very hard. And and it's funny because it's, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I hate to compare it to heroin, but it, it, it's it's only hard for the first couple of days, but those first couple of days are very hard.
1: <laughs> right, um, Lanier in in Ten Arguments, he compares it to gambling addiction. He says oh, it's sure. easier to compare it to gambling addiction um, because it's not a chemical dependency, um, so people won't make that you know that weird, they won't feel weird about that leap, um, and because a lot of the things that they use in apps and stuff like that. Are taken from the gambling world, anyways. You know, like the
0: pull down yep. refresh comes from slot machines. Yep. Um, that's, that's so insidious, by the way.
1: It is. It's so insidious. But you know what's funny is the person who did it probably wasn't insidious. They thought they were really clever. But like, you know what do people like? Make people like this more? A ding here. Or if you pull here and you get the little spinny thing, um, they were probably like these optimistic people who did it. <laughs>
0: I, I I agree and I don't agree because there are actually examples in digital minimalism of some of the people who helped to develop some of the solutions and they knew exactly what they were doing.
1: Right. That's true. There are... Well, if you stick around for the end of this, uh, for the last thing that we're going to talk about in this episode, which will be the heaviest thing,
0: um, we will talk about some of... Those insidious people, because which, which which by the way, Chad still hasn't told me, so I have no idea what the hell he's going to talk about.
1: Yeah, oh, I have. I did tell you if you if you looked in Dynalist, you'd know.
0: <laughs> oh man, okay. Well, I see how it is. All right, Got I always it. put everything in there for you. <laughs> yeah, I literally I haven't looked at it today, so this is all going to be a surprise for me.
1: Okay. Um, well, one, I'm, I'm going to start off kind of light. This is a fun one. So I've been reading. Um, I think I mentioned her before. Um, Diana Walsh Pazul- P- Pazulka, P-A-S-U-L-K-A. P- oh, full butcher job. Well done. Pazulka. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's Polish. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing. But she she wrote this book called American Cosmic. Um, this is the lady that I mentioned before I did that she was, for some reason, was booted off of Twitter and Facebook. And she's a, she's a religious researcher who this book is about... Um, extraterrestrials or to be more specific how she believes that extraterrestrials or the belief in extraterrestrials is becoming a modern religion so um that which is not what we're going to go into right now uh one of the things that she says in there she's talking about uh, the idea of um the way that fiction and and fact are placed next to each other so many places in society um you know like uh you watch a movie that it says it's based on real events or based on a true story, which means sure. that most of it is fucking false. Yeah. Um, or you watch something that has real footage injected into a fictional movie. You know, you're watching uh, an Avengers movie and they have footage from real footage from World War II in it. So the sure. real and the fictional put side by side. Or my favorite channel, the Bullshit Channel, which people still call the History Channel, um, they will have a show about. You know, Hitler's Germany. is all factual based from historians. And the next show is ancient aliens. Complete bullshit.
0: I remember when the History Channel actually had history. I missed that. Yeah, me too.
1: Um, So anyways, what she says about that is she says, the problem with fictional representations that are accepted as real or conflated is that they are accepted as real or conflated with the real is that it happens unconsciously. Um, Basically, she says... When you put these things next to each other, our brain is not sophisticated enough to understand that they are different. Um, we think that they are, but we're actually ingesting the fiction along with the fact. So everything that's true becomes a little less true and everything that's false becomes a little more true. And that's mm. terrifying because when we talk about you know fake news and all these things that come up on the news all the time, we could be seeing that some of it comes from here too, from these things sure. that we've done so, I, I have to wonder, you know, with History Channel putting on these fake shows next to it or National Geographic does it or Discovery Channel does it, what responsibility do they have for society? You know, do they? Are they just entertainment? You know, like, uh, I think it was History Channel. It could be in Discovery or something. They had this mermaid documentary that was completely fake. It was a fake documentary and you didn't find out till, like you watched like 80% of it. That it oh. was. Complete bullshit. This was like uh, maybe six or seven years ago. And they played it off like it was real. So how many... You have to wonder how many people... And it doesn't... This is not focused on any people. Just any people. What if you watched only half that show and
0: you had to go? Mm. You would think that what you just watched was real. That's, That's a good point. That's really confusing. And
1: if your brain does that with all these other things that we've talked about... I mean, on a subconscious level, then you have to wonder what responsibility they actually have. I mean, obviously, you don't want to legislate like something like that. But at the same time, shouldn't people be calling these, you know, these things out? Like, hey, History Channel, fuck you. Go back to history. Go back to fact.
0: Yeah, but I, I feel like they did that because they needed ratings. They needed, they needed viewers or they're going to lose the channel.
1: Then they should just be the alien channel.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I, don't at give me history it, I, and aliens. Like, fully call it what it is. You know what I mean?
1: You know what I mean? Like, that's that's a, I think that's a bullshit excuse. You know, it's like MTV. You know what? I could talk a lot of shit about MTV, about how they completely changed their format. But at least they completely changed their format.
0: Sure.
1: You know, they weren't trying to ride the fence. You know, I how am I supposed to know which documentary that they put on is real and which one's complete bullshit or it's just a bunch of lunatics? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, sure. And I'm a, a reasonably intelligent, discerning person. What about the rest of the world that maybe isn't? What about kids?:
0: Yeah, and especially given the the, the, the the title of the channel or the name of the channel itself that that inherently leads to a certain expectation level about the information that's on there. And unless you have some some initiative to go and do some of the research on your own, then you believe it as, as truth.
1: <laughs> right And I'm actually um, um, I'm more exposed to the history channel, but I'm more embarrassed for National Geographic. Mm, because sure. they're solely in a name that has been synonymous with quality reporting for decades and decades. My grandfather, if I go in the other room, there's a cupboard. It's, a, it's probably a, maybe a 10-foot 10, 10 wide cupboard of four shelves uh, full of National Geographics. He bought every single one of them and read them and saved them. Mm. Oh, my God. Because that's how good they were. It was it taught him things about the world. He didn't he, he only got a sixth grade education because he had to go to work. Um, but it, that's how he learned about the world was you know something as, as quality as National Geographic and then now they're you know they're doing this. They're blurring the line between f- fiction and fact.
0: I remember how much I relied on National Geographic growing up actually as my source for, for, for nature information. Actually, I really liked some of the, the space ones too. so I actually I think I still may have some of those in my garage. They, they're
1: the magazines. I'm sure are still quality. I don't think they're putting this bullshit in the magazines. But <laughs> I
0: don't know, reason, man. Could... I, I, can't think of any off the top of my head. But I've seen some of the the magazine, the, the the covers, and some of the articles in them are pretty bullshit now too.
1: It's it's like everybody has to have like some sensationalist, sensationalist slant now because they think that they're going to lose their business. I mean, are are we so morally decrepit as a as a race of beings? that quality doesn't sell anymore
0: yes well then somebody (laughs) just drop the bomb (laughs) well well, you know what here's the thing though right i don't think that it's permanently that way i think that it goes in fits and waves i think that i think that humanity gets lazy and then wakes up and and it's cyclical like that
1: Mm, you might be right i hope you're right
0: you know because we think about we think about the the errors in music for example right like you go from like rock and roll and then pop and then you get to grunge and then pop again. You know so I, I, I get the sense that it, it, it's you can it, at least in my mind, like the good canary for where I feel like society society is at any given point is what the quality of music is and what people are, are caring about when it comes to set music.
1: Well, the thing about music that's great is there's always when like the worst music is popular, the best music is being made underground
0: at the same time. Exactly, exactly, because people get sick and tired of pop after a while, but you need it every so often. Like I, I, I'll admit to it, you know, I, I like Radiohead as much as I we'll listen to like an Ariana Grande song, you know, like they're there. I, I need a bit of both because I can't always be that challenged. And don't get me wrong. Um, uh, this goes back to something in the book to um, useful leisure versus um, not useful leisure. And you um, mean the digital minimalism book? Not American Yeah. Digital, yeah di- digital minimalism. So you good leisure versus, well, not good leisure, just, just useful leisure versus not useful leisure and, well, and actual but, leisure. Yeah. And sometimes you just need that. You need a little bit of nothing. You know what I mean? I wish, Oh man,
1: when I was in, when I was freshman in college, I had a philosophy class. And this teacher gave just a, draw, a jaw-dropping explanation of what real leisure was and how most of the things that we did, like watching television and
0: all these things, weren't actual leisure. Um, who, was the, who was the philosopher that defined leisure? Um, and, I don't know. Was that Plato? I have no idea. That
1: sounds right. To me, it was that teacher. <laughs> <laughs> because i mean he just he he this this is one of those great philosophy teachers that if you were one of those snarky people who like to you know argue with the teacher or you know be sarcastic or whatever, the guy could just decimate you because he was that brilliant i mean he could read and write in every every basic uh f- philosophical language so he was fluent in german fluent in greek uh fluent in latin obviously english um, french and i think uh, one other one so he he learned all of the... So that he could read the philosophical text in their original tongue. Jeez. So it's that kind of guy. He could just destroy you. And he had this that's, argument. <laughs> that's brutal. <laughs> and I think, I think it had something to do with... Um, shit. No, I'm confusing it with music, with performance. He was talking about uh, music. It required both an audience and a performer to be fulfilled. There had to be an interaction between the two. Sure, that makes um, sense but leisure leisure was was something that you did if I remember correctly which I'm really really stretching my brain far back it was something along the lines of leisure is something that you do for enrichment of yourself and that's it that Hmm. it has it has no necessarily entertainment value it's there to enrich you so like memorizing a poem is leisure watching television is a passive activity two different things
0: sure but I mean, that there's, there's the secondary part to that too, right? Like, I mean, one of the things that talks about, that's talked about when it comes to actual leisure is doing something that develops a skill so that a certain part of your brain is working.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there has to be mental exercise of some sort. And I think we've reached a point where we think watching like a documentary is mental exercise. It really isn't. Um, I love documentaries, don't get me wrong, but a documentary is like, it's the only purpose of a documentary is to spark your interest. Sure, it's it's not actually to educate you, because they can't accomplish that. <laughs> it's not possible. You're gonna, you know, like give me a documentary on World War II. You're gonna tell me in two hours, I'm gonna understand World War II.
0: Uh, yeah, no, not possible. Well, you might you might understand where, one very specific aspect of it, and and so even there's, then, there's something... be, two hours is pretty brief. Yeah, there's something to be said for 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 at least having an understanding of, that's what, of, of that is what you're getting out of it, you know, setting that expectation. I think a lot of everything that we talk about uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff is just setting an expectation level.
1: Well, you know what I've been realizing is that uh, recently that I've gotten into this habit of being a very passive reader. Um, and I think it has something to do with getting used to using a Kindle device. And I'm not making an uh, argument against Kindles because I still love the fact that I can have you know, 5,000 books and not have to have, you know, 45 bookshelves. Sure. Um, but because of the nature, it, this would apply to iBooks too and the Nook and all of that. But the passive nature of highlighting a passage, um, that it, it's like, oh, that's good. I highlight it. So then my brain actually lets it go because it goes, oh, you've saved that. So it's it's no longer it's no longer trying to retain it. It's going, oh, you don't have to remember that. Um, it, it's wow. kind of like the reverse argument of um, GTD. You know, like the thing about GTD, it says, is clear all this stuff out of your head so that you don't have to have it all floating around in your head. But what you read in books, you do want floating around in your head. Um, so you don't want that experience. So what I've been doing is that when I get to the end of a book, when I finished a book, I have all my highlights. I don't do it the same day. I usually take a couple days and just let things float around in my head. And then I'll sit down and I'll just have all the highlights and look at them all. I think I've talked about this briefly before, but write them out and then like look at them, look over them and like ask I've been like circling stuff and asking questions and then going back to the book and seeing if the answer to my question was in there and I just didn't notice that. Or if I need to find out more about that. So then I'll create like a to-do list, like look up this person. What's what um what what is this? You know. And then actually like using it as a launching board to learn more about the topic instead of taking it and going, now I've learned everything about that from this book. Sure. And it's, it's transformed my, my, my learning and in, in just a very initial phase. I can't imagine after practice
0: what this is going to be like. It's, it's funny that you describe that process because I think... So I'm a, I'm a habitually slow reader and I think it's because I've always done that.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that there's, for me, the problem is if I go too slow, I'll never finish the book.
0: Yeah, sure. And, and I definitely do run into that quite a bit.
1: <laughs> so I think what's more important for me is to keep going back to the book. Just go through it fast. Maybe maybe if I go, even if I go through it fast and I go through it seven times, I'm going to understand it better than if I went through it once slow and never finished it. For me, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but I know the yeah, way my brain works. Because my brain wouldn't go back and finish it. It'd be like, look at this new one.
0: Yeah, I, I, I feel like because I've always read that way, um, I don't have that problem. I don't read more than two books at a time. Like, it's, almost, it's almost like a, a given rule for me that I will, I will always maintain that.
1: Yeah, see, these are all things I had to learn for the way my brain works. The reason I'm usually reading like five to seven books at the same time, not literally at the same time, <laughs> but cycling through them in my reading sessions, um, to make sure that I finish books.
0: Oh, geez. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Because if I'm reading one book and I get bored in a section or I lose the connection with the book, what okay. I used to do is just jump to another book and ah. then that book would be done. But now I just say, I don't have to... Just because I started this book doesn't mean I have to give up on this one. Do you give up on books though? Never. Really? And it actually um, it pisses me off when I see people... There's you know like Austin Cleon is one who does it all the time. There's a bunch of other ones. I think uh, who's the other one? Somebody just did it recently. They're all they all tout this idea of uh, never. I think it was Ryan Holiday, never finish a bad book or it's okay to give up on books. They're fucking wrong. Um, mm-hmm. m- most books are difficult because they're trying to give you a lot of information. Now, granted, if you're reading a novel and the novel's bad, maybe it's just a bad novel. Okay. But nonfiction books, usually you give up on a nonfiction book because it's heavy or because you know it's not sinking in or because you're frustrated, you're not learning it. You got to oh, sometimes.
0: Learn. Sometimes it's because it's badly written too.
1: <laughs> of course, of course. But even badly written books have information that's valuable to you. Sure, um, I agree with that. And it's... More than anything, it's important to finish books, period. It's important to finish things because it's character. And... The fact is, you don't know that this book... You know, like When we talked about that movie, The Brown Bunny, that was pretty much awful for 90% of the movie. It was just slow and boring. But the last <laughs> 10% of that movie was so good that it made all of the movie good to me. Some books are like that. Some books are a pain in the ass until the last five pages. And then the last five pages are so good that they make all of the crap that came before make sense. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a great book.
0: Yeah, it ties it all together. I feel, like, I feel like my experience with Dickens is like that.
1: <laughs> it's, I mean, we live in this like, society where everything is about marketing, marketing focus, marketing focus. That when you're reading a thing about writing a novel, one of the big tips I always give you is, is that first page has to be killer. You know what? Go back and read some of the great books that we refer to with the, with the, he, with the heavy term literature and read the first page. Some have brilliant first pages. Some have fucking garbage first pages. Some have garbage first halves. Yeah. You know, like, uh, what was that? Tristam Shandy? Is that the book I'm thinking of? No. Um, Damn, I can't remember. There's one book that I read that was just pretty much boring the whole way through. But then the overall understanding that I got from the book, this is a novel, uh, made it good even though it was a boring read and nothing redeemed the boringness of it. But something about the actual nature of the story, I guess you could apply that to Dickens, like you said, you know, like sometimes Dickens, he's just boring, but his idea is so good
0: that the boring is acceptable. Sure. And my experience reading Dickens as an older man is definitely very different because now I get the themes. And yeah. so, and so, and so Dickens is no longer boring to me. It completely, it, having that life experience, and we've talked about this in the previous episode too, is having that life experience dramatically changes your perspective.
1: <laughs> right. And you know, just sometimes a topic is important, but it's not interesting. Sure. And it doesn't mean it's not important to know about it, but it's just not
0: interesting to read.
1: You yeah, know, like, like, how,
0: like how computers came to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, or like the history of, uh, of newsprint. You know, like it's probably important to know that, but it's probably not going to be full of like interesting stories. Like the creation of the the dictionary was full of. If anybody's read the Professor and the Madman, that is an insane story about a guy in an insane asylum that was responsible for some of the best entries in the dictionary, who also cut off his own penis. Um, fascinating book. Wow, I
0: did not know that.
1: Yeah. You should read that book. I have it if you want to borrow it.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: I think I'm... Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So, all right. Next thing that I wanted to talk to you about. So, this one's fun because this is um, our old buddy, Ray file. So, I've still been slogging. Speaking of a book that's really important and full of value, even though I don't agree with a lot of the value it gives, um, but is completely fucking boring. The singularity is near mm. I'm only thirteen percent of the way through this book. This is one of the books that like maybe I pick up once a week
0: if I are, are you literally fighting your way through it right now
1: it's just it's 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 hard because sometimes it's so and don't get me wrong, the guy is really fucking smart. Um, there are times when it's i'm reading and I'm like i i don't know what he's talking about, and I have to read it again <laughs> because he it's not even that. It's some of the things he. It's like he's writing it only for science, for scientists. Sure. So you're like, wow, he used a bunch of terms there that he hasn't explained. I don't know what that means. Um. So that that makes it tri- trying. Sometimes it's just poorly written, and sometimes it's just exasperating because he's suggesting things that make me angry or that I totally disagree with. Um. So that makes it difficult as well. Like he has to, like a certain. If you pay attention to it, it's it's a subtle tone, but he has a subtle tone that makes me think that he hates human beings. Um, the way that he talks about replacing human beings, it, it's it's almost like you know throwing away something, and being like, "Well, that's not useful anymore. Get rid of that old thing." You know, like the velveteen rabbit. Sure. Uh, so that makes it hard to read too. But one of the things that he says in here, and this is um, this is very interesting because it sounds like completely. Fictional, but this is theoretically possible. Um, He says another intriguing and highly speculative, so even he calls it highly speculative, possibility is to send a computation process back in time through a wormhole in space time. So, what he's talking about is machines getting faster. And at a certain point, the only way to get machines might be the only way to get machines faster is to send their computations back in time so that we can have the answer now. So that we don't have to wait for the computation, and this is this is a, a theoretical physicist at Princeton named Todd Brunn is the one that presents the idea of this, and he says it's f- consistent with the laws of physics, and that it doesn't create a grandfather paradox. Um, so before we go into this for the listeners, I'm sure you know what this is, Lamb, but the grandfather, grandfather yeah. it's a it paradox is actually you want to take a swipe at it or you want me to do it? No, you, you're you're you're, you're on a roll, beard. Get it. Okay. Grandfather paradox, essentially, depending on who you argue about the grandfather paradox with, is either a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but essentially, the grandfather paradox is if you went back in time and you killed your grandfather while he was a child before he could have your father or your mother, whichever he's the father of, um, that would create a paradox, right? Because you went back and you killed him before your father was born. And because your father wasn't born, you can never be born. If you're never born, then you could never travel back in time and kill him. So then he's alive. So that's the paradox, right? Now, the reason it yes. can be good or bad is some people say that's what time's way of, of protecting you from being able to change the past. So it creates an, an, an infinite loop of two parallel realities. Sure. Because if, if there's technically in physics, I don't want to get too deep in this, but technically in physics it's it's schrodinger's cat basically okay so technically you kill him and technically you don't technically he's alive technically he's dead technically you went back technically you didn't technically you're alive technically you aren't it's crazy <laughs> but it's, it, and it's because it's not one loop; it's two realities cycling. So it goes: reality one leads to reality two, but reality two leads to reality one. The beginning is the end. Is the beginning is the end is the beginning. So <laughs> now, if I haven't completely lost everybody, the the theory, the reason people worry about the grandfather paradox is because they think, you know, what, what if we break time? Right. So what I want to know is. I have a bunch of questions about this and then I want to hear your thoughts on online. Doesn't saying that, saying that this doesn't create a grandfather paradox, doesn't that depend on an understanding of reality that nobody has? How do they know it doesn't create a grandfather paradox? How can they prove that?
0: Well, I mean, if you're taking the, the time axiom for what it is, right? If it can happen in the future, then it has happened and we've already done it. Right. So... Oh, God, I mean, that's we're we're getting into some pretty some pretty interesting like questions about reality and time as we understand it too. Yes, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
1: Well, here's let's let's go a different direction with these. Maybe we'll come back to that. Okay. How do we know that a computation can't affect time?
0: I'm it's fairly, obvious that a person, I'm fairly certain that it can't. <laughs> but how do we know? Uh, there's no way to know.
1: I mean, uh, and then that leads into other things. It's, do computations take up time and space?
0: Mm, true. Like, is there, is there a physical manifestation of the computation itself?
1: And this, I mean, this sounds like crazy stuff, guys, but think about this. If you're talking about sending a computation back, if it doesn't exist in time and space, then what the fuck are you sending back? Sure. Because if it's an idea, an idea can exist anywhere at any time. Yeah. Right? Because it's just an idea. But if it's something you can send back, then what is the reality of it? What, is the, what do you find as the reality of a computation that makes you able to send it somewhere?
0: Well, I guess some of the, the, the way you answer that question, too, is what is, it, what is the medium in which you're transporting that computation as well? Well, th- granted, this is not a
1: huge explanation because he doesn't talk about the actual machine for doing this or any of that. But he says essentially what you're doing is you're sending the computation itself... Back into the light of its cone. Oh man, (laughs) I'm not even sure what that means. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying
0: to wrap my head around that sentence.
1: The comb comb part throws me off, but essentially, I think what he's saying is you're sending the computation back into the light of something. But then it's like, if the, if I understand, which I definitely don't, if I mildly understand what light of the cone means that seems like something that would have to come off something that re- exists in a physical reality
0: that's that's right and if there's that's that's where i was heading to with that question is that if there's a physical if there's a physical device of any kind introduced into any environment then even if you're just moving dust particles in a static room you're changing you're already changing the course of human history
1: yes you actually beat me to one of my things i said how how are we going to say that that's not the butterfly effect you know what i mean if say we have to sure. say I mean, can a computation? Here's a here's a uh, this is like a forest and tree thing. Can a computation exist without the machine doing it? Sure. I mean, literally, can a computation exist if there's not a machine doing it? Does it exist independently of the machine?
0: God, how the hell would you even define that?
1: And if it doesn't, then that means you have to send the machine back that's doing the computation. Correct? Of course, of course, absolutely. So, so then exactly what you're saying? Who's to say that me putting a machine, which uh, say it's this insane computation that's going to take 10,000 years to do so you have to send the machine back 10,000 years in time well if there is a computer sitting somewhere 10,000 years ago i'm pretty sure that's going to affect time sure even if it's disguised as a rock a rock in the wrong place could make a dinosaur step one step this is the butterfly effect the dinosaur steps three inches to the left because he steps three inches to the left this tree falls instead of this tree and then that changes the whole ecosystem. And then that changes the whole planet.
0: Sure. Man, but, yeah, but that can't be right. That's of course it's paradoxical. Of course it creates the of course it creates a causal loop that then is fundamentally flawed in, in moving forward to human history. I mean, of course it does. It has to.
1: And here's my thing too, is like the human this is this is why Ray Kurtzfall pisses me off. Because he really is ready to just completely eject humanity. Because there is nothing that a human brain ever needs that has to come from a machine that's so fast that we have to send its
0: computations back in time. Hmm. You
1: don't think so? Absolutely not. Absolutely
0: even, not. Even, even if it's to do the most complex equation in the world to understand how we could physically control time?
1: No, I don't think so. Because I don't think we need to know that. Oh, that's true. Sure. You know what we need to know about how to control time is how to move forward in it the way we do every day. That's it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, the, one, of the biggest, one of the biggest things we're talking about is how we're defined psychologically, right? Like we're, we're, we're made to understand time on a linear plane. Right. And the moment we remove that linear plane from the equation, we have no... There are certain assumptions that we lose. Um, and losing those assumptions, I can't imagine a person maintaining any level of real sanity over time, having lost some very fundamental assumptions about reality.
1: Right. Well, here's, here's, here's an easier one for like, uh, put it into more concrete terms for somebody to imagine this. Imagine if instead of getting an update for your phone every year, you had an update for your phone every three seconds. Jeez. And you had to spend 60% of your day just updating your device what yeah, do you think that, that would
0: do for your sanity you lose your mind Are you kidding me i would never i would throw my phone out the window
1: right because there's a threshold and that might not be the place where the threshold is i assume it would be way before that so there yeah, is a threshold if, there of the human being's ability to deal with technology
0: and so from that perspective what you're saying is if it were possible to do that then humanity because of its linear or human beings because of their linear understanding of time would lose their minds because they would have to fundamentally throw out their idea of what time is.
1: Right. So basically the only way that I think if you're going to if human beings are going to survive and people like Ray Kurzweil are going to make the things that we're going to do is that they're going to you know, we're going to be like horses. You know, we're going to be living in these little corrals full of human stuff while these other machines are operating around us. <laughs> human and stuff. And, yeah, we're going to be the pets in the zoo.
0: Oh yeah. I mean there's there's already
1: honestly, we are like, already.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like the next evolutionary step in humans, I think, is actually not evolving the human body, but at some point we're just gonna are gonna become consciousness inside of some kind of mechanical vessel.
1: Which is not humanity. Nope. Well, I mean, depends on it depends on your definition, right? It can't be. It's completely different biologically.
0: Humanity is humanity is tied to its biology. Sure. So as a species, we, don't, we will no longer exist as humans as we understand them if we remove the biological component of what makes us who we are.
1: And I don't think we technically would exist e- anyways either. We would oh, be. Man,
0: this is deep.
1: <laughs> we would be computations, but we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't exist. You know, there is something, that's why I don't think that they're ever going to cross the threshold with AI. It will be able maybe to make certain discernments that they don't think that they'll be able to pass, but it will never be alive. I don't think that they can ever pass that threshold because it's, yeah. it's something we don't even understand how we did it. Why do we, why do we look in the mirror and think, look at all these gray hairs and a dog looks in the mirror and goes, who's that dog?
0: Oh, sure. Good point.
1: We don't know what the difference there is. We don't. That's what, I mean, this is why we have religions, because that's essentially what the religions have tried to do for, for centuries, is to try to answer that question. Why are we so different than these other mm. animals? And science hasn't been able to answer that either.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, wow, that was dense. Thank you for that. My, well, my brain hurts. What a, what a day to pick to do that topic, Jeb.
1: Well, if it makes you feel any better, we're about to shit on one of the biggest tech giants in the world. So Sweet. put up the flags of war. Um, this is this is heavy. This is really heavy. And I'm not going to go through all the notes because I'm not going to... Like I said, I'm not trying to sell you guys this book. But there's one, one particular section of this that I think is very interesting to talk about. So basically, um, this book that I'm going into right now is... Um, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. And wow, this book is powerful. Um, Number one, this book is dense. This lady did so much work. She is one smart human being. She went through... um, Here, I have it written here. She went through interviews, patents, earning calls, speeches, conference calls, conferences, videos, conference notes, company programs, policies. And between 2012 and 2015, she personally interviewed 52 data scientists, from 19 different companies with a combined experience of 586 years. So she did her homework.
0: <laughs> Jeez, dude. Holy crap.
1: Yeah. And it shows because literally every page is just full of information. Um, and it I've only read a third of this book because it's so dense, I had to slow down. And after reading a third of it, I've slowly been removing my connection to all Google services, including Gmail. I don't want anything to do with Google. Ever again: <laughs> uh, No, you laugh now, but l- trust me, as I here I'll, I'll give you something interesting just for you right now. This is not technically about the topic I want to talk about, but as someone who is involved in uh, liberal politics, um, most people would think that Google they put up a very good face, that they are um, supporting of the left right? Those are the people they tend to hire. Those are the commercials they tend to put out, all of these things. But that's not actually where their money goes. Their money actually goes to the far right. Um, the Center for, for Media Democracy found that in 2012, Google grantees, uh, I think it was 122 of the people that received grants from Google, um, were feature, they featured anti-government groups. Um, such for, proposition, for opposition to taxes and climate change, such as the Grover Norquist Americans for Tax Reform, the Koch Brothers Heritage Action, the Federalist Society, and the Cato Institute. They also have quietly acknowledged membership to the lobbying group ALEC, which opposes control and emission curbs, um, which opposes control. I think that's the wrong word. But, uh, oh, gun control and emission curbs. And they support voter suppression schemes and tobacco industry tax breaks. So, um, regardless if you're on the right or the left, you should be pissed off at Google because they're lying to you. (laughs) They're lying to both of you. (laughs) (laughs) If you think that they are uh, huge supporters of um, anti-regulation, which monetarily they are, they're also putting out huge ads and putting up a public face that says the opposite. And if you believe the public face that they are liberal, and now you know that their money is going to the opposite. And the reason for that is because their business model depends on no regulation. Sure. The more, basically, if the only way Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and companies like this can continue to grow is if human beings have less and less privacy. So that's it. They have to be able to, and that's what this whole thing that I'm going to talk about is. It's called the cycle of dispossession. And it is horrifying, horrifying. Um, one, one little interesting point that I did want to point out, though um, Google didn't in, invent Android to compete with Apple. That's what a lot of people say. You know, like, oh, they just want, they were, you know, Eric Schmidt was part of the board of the original iPhone. I don't know if people, a lot of people know that. Um, he didn't leave to go create Android, because he was like, "Screw, these guys, we can do better." He left because he realized that mobile phones were going to be the only way to get the information that they needed to grow, that they nice. needed biometric data, they needed location data. They needed all of these things, because what Google does is Google is a peddler of what we call um, sorry, so many notes behavioral surplus. And what behavior, behavioral surplus means is collect all of the data. And whatever data you don't use for yourself, sell to anybody who will buy it. Yeah. Uh. So don't just collect um, the data on when this guy goes to the grocery store. Collect the data on everywhere he goes. And if the CIA wants to buy that, sell it to the CIA. And if sure. this person wants to buy it, sell this person. And by the way, they do sell it to the CIA. in um, one year, I can't remember the year right now, and I'm not going to search through all the notes, but one year they were contracted for like $13 million to build uh, a data search thing for the CIA. So, now let's get into the beef of it, the actual media. Um, and this is called digital dispossession. So, the purpose of digital disposition is to take our data and convince us that it was never ours and there are what is it five stages four stages four stages of digital dispossession incursion habituation adaptation and redirection so i'm going to try to go through this fast so that we can talk about it because you kind of have to know all this to be able to talk about it so for example when you when you an incursion is when you launch into an area that you weren't previously allowed into it's kind of what the definition of the word means right so sure. scanning people's emails. You weren't really allowed there, but now you've incurred into it. You didn't ask permission. You just went into it. Collecting people's location data. All of these things. These are incursions. And usually what they what these companies will do is when when the incursion comes out, if there's a reaction to it, they try to ignore it. Sure. And if that doesn't work, then they try to seduce people. So they try to add things. You know, like we're gonna give you a lot of a lot of extra storage for free. Sound familiar? Sound really familiar? Yeah, Absolutely. We're going to give you the best reviews of restaurants if you tell us where you are all the time. Mm. We're going to make your search the most powerful search in the world as long as you let us scan everything that you look at. So basically, they will go through that. If that doesn't work, then what they try to do is they try to sit through habituation. And habituation is... Uh, waiting for people to get used to it. So they'll wait it out. like Maybe they will just get used to the idea. This is what they want you to... They want you to feel that it's normal or that you can't avoid it. Uh, People habituate to the incursion with some combination of agreement, hopelessness, and resignation. The sense of astonishment and outrage dissipates. Encouraging itself, once unthinkable, it slowly worms its way into the ordinary. We're still... Worse still, it gradually comes to be seen as inevitable. People habituate to the incursion with some combination of agreement, hopelessness, and resignation. The sense of astonishment... That's a repetition of the same sentence as well. Wow. I copied the same paragraph into itself. Huh. So that's, that's terrifying because basically their job is to convince you that it was inevitable, that you never had a choice in it.
0: Um, oh, so, the, the, the patience of that.
1: And that's when, when I... Oh, man. Uh, okay, so let me go into this a little bit more. You'll see. <laughs> so, when that doesn't work, when it doesn't habituate, then they adapt, they adapt mildly. They don't change their course, they just change it a little bit and see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then they go into full redirection. And redirection is when you funnel it somewhere else and then restart the cycle. This is why it's a cycle. So, to make this all more clear and less concrete, I did find one example. And this will take us through two cycles. So, you can see how they feed into themselves and the example is something we talked about before google glass so they come out with google glass and they say hey we're going to make this uh thing that looks like glasses you put on your face you know and we're going to project stuff right in your eyeballs so you can see it and it's going to have your location data and you'll be able to film and videotape everything everywhere you are take pictures whenever you want and you never have to lift your hands and everybody went whoa 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 people are going to be walking around filming stuff what about in the bathroom and what about when I don't want them to film and what about when I don't want them to take pictures and I won't know it and it's going to collect our data of where we are at all times so people freaked out so first thing they did of course is they ignored it and they just kept telling people how great the product was sure then when that didn't work they slipped into seduction phase and they're like we're going to add a new feature that allows you to live stream so you will be able to live stream your whole day people still didn't like that Yeah. but they said, well, just keep pushing it. And then they moved in the habituation phase. And they waited. And they waited. You remember Google Glass was, on the, was never on the market, but it was coming to the market for a really long time. Yeah. Because sure. they were waiting for people to get used to the idea before they could release it for sale. They already had these things developed. It's not like they were developing them. Um, I had a friend who worked near Google in a, in a cafe. And Sergey Brand used to come in all the time. And he was wearing the Google Glass every day, every time he came in. So they had Jeez. them. Sure. So that didn't work. Habituation didn't work. So then they had to adapt. They said, Oh, we're going to take it off the market. And they took it off the market. And they announced, they said, Well, future versions are coming. And then they they tried to tell people, Like People didn't like the way it looked. That was the problem. So we've hired designers to make it look more like glasses. So then they moved into redirection phase. Redirection phase is when they announced Glass Enterprise Edition. Glass Enterprise Edition is, now we're starting a new cycle, an incursion into the workplace. And the seduction of that is, this is for fields where people use their hands and they can't use a computer at the same time, like manufacturing, logistics, field services, healthcare. And then the habituation here, this is the most insidious. And when you talk about that patience thing, the habituation here is, if we can get it into the workplace and these people get used to using it at work... Eventually, they're going to forget all about their privacy concerns. Sure. And they're going to start saying, how come I can't have this at home? Mm. And then comes redirection when in the future when they go, now available to the public. So they still accomplish what they accomplish by slowly convincing you to dispossess that data, that that doesn't belong to you, that your privacy is no longer yours. And you could, if you go through all of their products and this is not just Google, by the way, but if you go through what they did with Gmail, you go through what they do with Google Maps, with the location, the continuous location tracking, all of these things, they use that same exact cycle. Wow. I'm convinced that they are the worst company in the world.
0: Uh, I mean, I, 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 I ask the question of why. Is it purely to sell it?
1: It's because they have to keep incurring to grow. The surveillance... The whole point of this book is that the only way that surveillance capitalists... The way our whole economy is based on surveillance capitalism now. The only way that these companies continue to grow is to continually incur more and more privacy from us. Mm. Because... So, I mean, to give you an example of how big of a difference this made on the model. uh, First of all, 86% of Google's revenue Right of Alphabet, not Google, of Alphabet's revenue comes from Google. Mm. And in less than four years, I think it was uh, 2012 that they started doing stuff like this. In less than four years, when they changed to this model of of, uh, behavioral surplus, selling behavioral surplus, their revenue increased 3,596%. Oh, geez. So how are you going to continue to keep growing like that? they need people to continue to, to give up their rights. Sure. That, that's their business model. Literally. This is not an exaggeration. This is not a conspiracy theory. This lady went through... I mean, here, Here's an example. of Eric Schmidt was a former CEO of Google, right? In 2003, here's a quote from him. Our goal with Android is to reach everyone. We will cross 1 billion Android devices in 6 to 9 months. In a year or two, we will hit 2 billion. And here's the worst part of this sentence a relatively inexpensive smartphone with the browser is all you need to get the world's information. Wow. They want it all. And that's why they license Android to phone makers for free. That's why they're willing to make cheap phones and not have to always make expensive phones like Apple does.
0: Well, that's terrifying.
1: Yes. (laughs) I, I hate to tell you that, uh, not only, of course, you know, Facebook's doing this, but Google's the number one. By the way, the Google is the number one largest lobbyist in the country. Number one. Um, and number two in the EU. And don't get uh, anybody out there that wants to think that this has to do with left or right politics. I hate to tell you it doesn't because yeah. Google doesn't give a shit. Sure. Because they have enough money that they can get into any government. Um, For example, when Obama was in office, where is this? This was shocking to me. Um, Oh, yeah, here we go. During Obama's eight years, 197 people moved from government to Google and 61 moved from Google to government. Mm. Of those, 22 went from the White House to Google and 31 went from Google to the White House.
0: They don't have to get into government. They're already in it. I'm not even sure I have a proper response for any of this. I'm telling you this book is fucking
1: heavy, man. <laughs> Holy shit. That's why I was like I don't want anything to do with this company anymore.
0: I mean, I feel like there's a panel discussion that 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 we can have about this with a whole bunch of people. Um everybody would have to read the book though because I yeah, feel like
1: everybody's going to have reactions reactions to this like I'm sure a lot of listeners do. You don't want to believe this. I don't want to believe this.
0: You know how much data I've given Google? Oh tons. I mean I I'm thinking through all of that now.
1: <laughs> Think about the fact that they even though I removed my YouTube, they still have record of every vlog I made so they know what I did every day for two hundred days in a row. Yep. And they know how people felt about it. And location data and everything. Yep. People I was with. So like I mean, this is just it's terrifying. It is really, really terrifying. Because wow. it's 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 driven by pure greed. Sure. Um, It's not even driven by something insidious. This is a great quote. Just as industrial civilization uh, flourished at the expense of nature and now threatens to cost us the earth, the information civilization shaped by surveillance capitalism and its new instrument, um, instrument, something I got the wrong word there, instrumental power will thrive at the expense of human nature and will threaten to cost us our humanity. Jeez. And I thought that was a really good point, where it's like, "Oh, well, nobody wanted to pay attention to you know the giant smokestacks spewing smoke into the air every day, and now we're paying the consequences of that because we didn't want to pay attention to it, and sure. now we don't want to pay attention to this, and we are going to pay the consequences of it. Mm. And these things are you know this isn't just used for the like i said this is this is the the worst part about this is not that Google has your data, it's that they're selling it.: Sure. And they're selling it to anybody who wants it. Um, this is this is information that's used to get you to vote for people that maybe you wouldn't normally vote for. Um, it's it's manipulating voters. I mean, I know that... i um, looking at it right now. For example, the Obama campaign in 2008 compiled data on 250 million Americans. And that's just information from the Obama election website and from Facebook. And they use that information to manipulate voters, and then the Trump campaign did that fivefold. Um, sure, you guys might be remembering a certain place called Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> That's what this was about. And the intelligence agencies, by the way, you know, like the CIA and uh, NSA and all these guys, they don't collect their own data. They don't have the technology for that. They're getting it from private data sources like Google like Facebook, like Microsoft. Which is good and bad. You know, obviously government, you, you do want them to be paying attention to something. Sure. But I don't know. How much where's the line? Which is too well, much.
0: Well I mean that's the, the 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 very simple question of that is at what cost, right? Like yeah. what what then can they do to manipulate and control not just the outcomes of elections, but just society in general.
1: Yes that's one of the, one of the things that uh somebody said in here uh, i think it might have been Zuboff herself she said the goal is no longer to control what we use or control what we buy it's literally to control us sure because that much data that's all you can do with it is to literally control the way human beings react and we we know it can be done yeah absolutely We're, there's been all these tests done on on uh I was just reading something. I don't remember what it was, but uh, somebody was talking about, they take all these, uh, study of all these young people um, because young people, because hey, they, they grew up with social media. They're social media savvy. And they put them down and they said, tell me which of these profiles is real and which ones are fake. Tell me which of these ads is real and which one's fake. And they had no clue. They couldn't, they couldn't tell the difference. Jeez. Because these fake profiles the the real fake profiles, the ones that are actually doing insidious things, are made from this kind of data. Sure. Because if you can take that intensive data of six different human beings and mix them together, you can make a pretty realistic-looking human being.
0: Yeah, so I mean, from that perspective, we're not even talking about manipulating reality anymore. We're talking about creating it.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Oh, jeez. So... Well, I that's, would, pretty, that's pretty horrible. <laughs> I,
1: I would suggest that people slowly start moving away from Google because that free email is not worth it. Yeah. Huh. Microsoft
0: is no no better. They're just not as strong as Google. They're, they're just not as good at... Not at as as scrupulous or inscrupulous.
1: Well, you know that um, when you install Windows, it asks you, do you want Express install? You know, so you don't have to do the custom. Mm-hmm. If you choose... I don't know if it's still this way. I assume it is. Um... If you choose custom install, it opens all the pathways of your data to their servers. So it, it, it says, what is the maximum of information I can take from this person's computer? That's what custom install does. I Please. mean, uh, express install. Sure. And then here's the funny thing. If you go in and you turn it all off and you disable Cortana and all that stuff, it still does it. It doesn't turn it off. Huh. Or your, your, um, your phone providers, Verizon and AT&T, uh, both got in trouble for this. They create these unique user number or PIN numbers or user numbers um, for each person. With a, it's a tracking number for them to collect the data and associate all the data from the phone, including apps that you download, websites you visit, places you visit. Um, it can collect all that associated with that number. And even if you download... VPNs, you download uh, ad blockers and spyware blockers and all these things. None of them turn it off because the number and the and your phone number are inseparable. You can't delete it. Sure. So they can continually, no matter what, you can't stop them from tracking you and 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 collecting all of your data.
0: Huh? That's terrible. Welcome to surveillance capitalism. All right. Well, that book's, that book's next on my list. It's so funny because um, Digital Minimalism is such an inspiring and optimistic book. And this sounds like the book that will basically make me give up.
1: <laughs> this is, it's, it's, it's not the book that should make you give up. It's the book that I think, I'm, like I said, I'm only a third of the way through it. But I think what her point here is that these things can be stopped. Sure. You know, it's a system. Um, as long as we continue to take things that are free because of the convenience and because of the seduction and all of these other things, because we believe it's inevitable, then they will continue to do it. And this goes back to Lanier's point too. You know, like if you delete all of your social media accounts right now, then all Facebook and Twitter, their, their stock's going to go in the toilet. So what are they going to do? They have to create a new business model. Sure. And that's the purpose. So you can change this because the people. The thing that people forget, even more than the vote, you know where you really have power? Where you spend your money. Sure. Or where you well, don't spend your
0: money. Well, especially in a capitalist country, absolutely. It's, it's everything. Exactly.
1: So has anybody just jumped off a building right
0: now while listening to all this? Well, I mean, the fascinating point through all of that too is that it's not just about choice. Man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to formulate this in my head. Because that's, that's a lot of information. Not only that, but it's a lot of really terrifying information. Um, at what point... I mean, oh, wow, okay. I, I got I to gotta get a second to gather my, my thoughts here. <laughs> um, is it really stoppable?
1: Of course it is. It's you just so? a fucking company. Why isn't it... See, that's the problem. You're, believing the, you're already believing the, the, the third cycle. Oh, true. Yeah. Uh, the habituation cycle is the second cycle. You're believing that it's inevitable. And that's what they want you to be. They want you to be disheartened. If you notice that, like, uh, number one, if you if you look this up, it says it in the book, nobody knows how many lawsuits there are against Google right now. Nobody mm. knows. There are so many that nobody has a full count. Sure. And Google fights every single one of them. You know why they fight every single one of them? Because they want you to believe that there's nothing you can do about it. Sure. But there is. Say fuck Google. Go get a fucking email address with Proton Mail. Pay fucking fifty dollars a year for a completely encrypted email that nobody else can read but you. That's yeah, one way it, you can do it. Don't use so, their search. Use DuckDuckGo.
0: It it's so it so speaks to a very old axiom too, which is nothing in the world is for free.
1: Nothing. Absolutely not.
0: And and Chances are, if there's, there's something out there like, for example, it, Gmail that's free, and, and given how successful Gmail is, that means that the value of Gmail as a service is so high to Google that they don't give a shit about it being free.
1: Right. Because you could make, let's say you made the equivalent of $100 million a year off of paid Gmail. Or you can make, hmm, I don't know, maybe ten billion a year off of all of the information you gather.
0: Sure, it's a lost leader. Absolutely, it, it 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 achieves the buy-in.
1: Yeah, and what you basically—if the only way that they're going to stop doing this is if they can't do it. Sure, if they don't have the data if nobody's giving them the day, if nobody's using their search and they're, ser- they're not making money off their search, then they can't afford to do it for free anymore because the engineering backend of those are expensive. Sure. So they trillions either have
0: to... Actually, trillions of dollars.
1: So they either have to change their business model or they have to stop doing it altogether. Sure. That's why you got to love things like, you know, people complain about how Wikipedia every year is asking for money. I prefer that. Absolutely because i know that wikipedia is not saving everything i search
0: well not only that but there's 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 a relationship there that you build with wikipedia there's a trust that you build with them because you need each other in order to to maintain their their access or your access to their information and their ability to acquire that information right exactly so there's a relationship and I think that's the scary thing about Google is that I can't really think of how and why like that you know because now now that you're talking about it in this by the, with this perspective I'm thinking about all of the stuff that I have in sheets and docs you know what I mean
1: oh yeah well think about this too um, if you guys think I'm crazy well first of all this isn't my idea I'm reading Zuboff's ideas and she's a far more intelligent person than me I'm just a dumbass with a podcast um, this is a woman who
0: studies this stuff <laughs> and talks to the... That's got to that's gotta be the episode name. Carry on. Dumbass with a podcast? Yeah, it's so good. Sorry.
1: but and, and even her. This isn't her idea. This is, like I said, she interviewed what I say, like 52 data
0: scientists. Yeah, this is just collated data from a bunch of experts.
1: This is coming from, And she doesn't say what companies they're coming from. I guarantee you some of them worked at Google.
0: Um, or, or, or still currently work at Google.
1: Exactly. Um, I don't remember why I was saying that though. <laughs> Well, because
0: you wanted, you wanted to convince the world that you weren't out of your mind, and you were wearing tin hats and stuff.
1: Yeah. So think about this. Think about the products that Google has made. Why would they make maps? You know, just think about it. If you're if you're the biggest search, why would you get into maps? It doesn't seem like a now. It seems like a logical thing because it happened, but at the time it wasn't a logical leap. Sure. You get into maps because you want location data.
0: Sure, of course. Why do you get into restaurant reviews? That's not a logical extension either. For user data. I mean, now that you explain it from that perspective, it's just 100% about acquiring data in any way that you can. Right. So you you create the vessel by which that data is used.
1: Why did they never bother to make high-end laptops and choose instead to make the cheap ones on market that you have to be on the internet to use? Mm, Data. That's a pretty insidious one. When you think about it, you're like, "Oh, nothing on this laptop works unless I have an internet connection," which means I can never use this thing without them collecting data.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's pretty bad.
1: Why did they get into the smart smart smartwatch market but not push it very hard? Because it didn't really matter too much, right? Sure. Yeah. They're already getting some location data, but it wasn't maybe the cost analysis wasn't enough. You know, like we get enough from the phone. Who knows?
0: Well, plus, I mean, if you think about it from that perspective, like, there's if you already have the phone in your pocket, then the the watch isn't giving you any extra data that's useful.
1: Unless, like, you're talking about heart rate and.
0: Oh, oh, man, that's really scary to think about. mm -hmm. Because now they understand your physical state constantly.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, think about this. Really, like, this is really conspiracy theory territory, but this is not conspiracy theory. This is stuff that's actually going on, these are actual facts of data that's collected. Now think about this. If you had people's heart rates, what could you do with that? You have their location data, you have the heart rate.
0: Oh man, yeah. What totally. can you do with
1: that? Um, he's in the mall, and his heart rate gone up. It went up. Okay, what store was he in?
0: Now I know what he likes. Well, not only that. I mean, GPS technology has gotten so good that you can tell where someone is within three meters of where they are. So that means you can tell that if they're on a certain ride in an amusement park,
1: or what aisle they're shopping in. Absolutely. And as it gets more and more accurate, which I have a feeling 5G is going to
0: enable. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because it's, the data comes up and down so much faster.
1: Right. And people think, think about this too. That everybody wants the networks to get faster. That's not for us.
0: Yeah. Sure. That's not
1: for our convenience. It's for mm-hmm.
0: them. Yeah, And the faster the network is, the more, the more information you can transmit quickly yep. without, then, any, without any interruption of service or, or lag or latency to the device.
1: Exactly. So the, the now you have this problem where if you if you try to upload stuff from a phone while somebody's watching a video, the video slows down and they wonder why does my signal suck. If the signal's faster and nobody notices the difference.
0: Exactly. Jeez.
1: Surveillance capitalism we're oh, living
0: oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez dude. Well, Google Google's essentially running our lives.
1: Google, Facebook. The most insidious are the are the ones that that have the most play that people have the most positive opinions of and think about this um people this is this is i I thought about this a lot people talk a lot of shit about facebook and they always have i think that's the real reason that they bought instagram sure because for some reason there is a cognitive separation where people will talk shit about facebook but still think instagram is wonderful they're the same company
0: whatever they're doing on
1: facebook they're doing on
0: instagram or, or the feeling that you have, Instagram in many ways is a test bed for Facebook and vice versa. Um, but even if you're looking at it from from that perspective, then then YouTube is not even considered a Google company.
1: Right? No, definitely not. Most people wouldn't even think about the fact that everything you search on videos in YouTube is going is going to the Google surplus too. The behavioral sure. surplus. They know what videos you're looking up. They know what conspiracies you believe in. They know it all.
0: Wow. And it's up for okay. the highest bidder that's in, that's incredibly disheartening
1: <laughs> and it's it's not some secret this is not like so, that's why I keep saying this is not a conspiracy theory This is not something that if you took five minutes to search on the internet, you can find all this stuff is true they literally you know that's the thing about the dispossession the dispossession is it's not they're not stealing stuff from you you're not that pickpocketing you they're not taking stuff in secret they're literally telling you they're doing it and convincing you that you like the idea of it yeah sure it's more of a con job than it is a pickpocket mm. it doesn't this is none of this is secretive this is all public i mean all the stuff all the sources she pulled are public knowledge sure. you can go read those public policies you can go read those uh com- notes from the conferences and and see the videos that she saw and I have a feeling at a certain point when I get to the back of this book, there's probably just going to be like 50 pages of sources.
0: Oh sure, yeah. Which which then spawns off for you a, a succession of of reading things or materials that you're going to read over the next however long.
1: All right. I actually I think I'm going to make a left turn after this book. I don't think I can go too much deeper into this without yeah. losing my mind. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to. T- I, there's a lot of stuff that. Um, has come out of these that seems like another area to go into, like reclaiming conversation um uh, learning uh, learning healthy habits that we 're forgetting about there's some been some books that have been mentioned in the other books that i 've read, and I think that 's the direction i 'm going
0: to go next mm,
1: interesting i can 't go deeper in this I think if you go deeper in this, you do end up in the conspiracy territory
0: well plus beyond that too, I think that that and it 's not like I necessarily mind that the show is becoming a bummer but um we talk about this stuff a lot, and I feel like there's 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 a certain exhaustion that we're going to feel going through this constantly,
1: right? Yeah, it's, I mean we're not a news source, but it's what I'm reading.
0: <laughs> yeah, true.
1: <laughs> That's and this is another reason why I read multiple books. If this was the only book I was reading, can you imagine what headspace I'd be in?
0: Oh man, yeah, you'd be you'd be digging a digging a tunnel somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, I'd be I'd be like knee deep in mud in my underwear, like watching Alex Jones videos on my iPhone.
0: Wow, that's really specific. With a VPN, I get the I get the sense that you've thought about this before.
1: <laughs> you know, I've never seen one of his videos. So I should watch one. I don't know how you do anymore, but
0: yeah, purely just for the sake of it. I'm sure. It, I'm sure they're roaming around YouTube somewhere. Someone yeah. someone has to have copied something somewhere to somewhere.
1: Well, you know, what's, what's what's fascinating about him to me is he's one of those guys where you're like, there's so much shit that he says that's crazy, and just you know, like the lizard people and all of that shit that there's probably got to be like 10% of the stuff that he's saying that has some merit to it, but nobody's going to know because it's mixed in with 90% of fucking just complete insanity. Just total garbage. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what makes me sad about somebody like that because it's like, if your goal is really to, you know, like if you really think that you're protecting people from, from conspiracies and stuff like that, like your standards should be really high, not low. Um, one of the things actually going back to American Cosmic, one of the people that she talks to in this book, I think his name is Scott Brown with an E at the end. Brown, um, he has a Facebook group called In the Field, and it's these guys who, um, I shouldn't say guys, these people who take pictures of UFOs, unidentified flying objects, but they have the highest standards where, um, you have to tell them where it was taken, who took the photo. There's all these like strict questions that you had to submit an image. And if anybody in the group is caught hoaxing something, they're kicked out instantly. Oh, wow. No no debate, no nothing. If you're caught hoaxing, you're out. They only want to... They want the best, best data because they want to know what it is. And these are not people who... Um, and the, the, one of the... They, there's like five rules to the group. And one of the rules is that you don't have an unflexible opinion of what these things are. Mm. So in other words, it, you can't go in saying, I know they're aliens. You have to go in saying they could be aliens, they could be earthly phenomena, they could be lights, they could be demons, they could be, you know, like you have to go in with a completely open mind
0: to be part so, of the yeah. So you have to have like a, a, an almost unwashed skepticism about it all in a weird yeah. kind of way.
1: It's really cool. And I think that like, that's the problem with this conspiracy community. Is the conspiracy community swings low when it should be swinging high? Sure. Because if you really want to make you really want to make a difference in the conspiracy community, you really want to tell people about real conspiracies that are going on. I think that Shoshana Zuboff here has done a better job than that than all of the conspiracy YouTubers put together have ever done. Sure. Because she's put together something that's credible, something that can be that anybody could look up on their own and prove all those facts. They can go look at all those sources.
0: But it's the painstaking process of, of compiling all of those facts and then making some conclusions out of them that separates her from something right. not on YouTube.
1: She's a real researcher. Sure. These these other people, they just want to be famous.
0: Yeah, exactly. So then, the the, the fundamental question becomes: um, How much of it is ego, and how much of it is altruism?
1: I, yeah, I think once the once the ego bleeds in, you have no idea what altruism is. Anymore. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's fully gone. Yeah, your your objectivity is entirely gone. Yeah, which is something I've actually been in, been fascinated by lately too: is objectivity versus altruism. Yeah, that's a heavy one. You should put that on the list. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about it in the context of my own relationship, like how how much of, of my my sadness is based on a personal feeling of loss versus a feeling of the universe losing a pairing that was particularly special. Like there's a greater good there, you know? Mm.
1: It's heavy.
0: Yeah, it's a big philosophical question. But it's a fun one though, because I, I feel like I feel like defining relationships as as a force of nature makes it f- it makes it easier objectively to talk about it.
1: That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Um, well, I guess if you guys are still here, if you made it this far <laughs> in the episode, you deserve to know a little secret that I didn't want to put at the head of the episode. Lamb and I are going to try an experiment for a little while. No promises. We're going to try this. We're going to try doing two episodes a week. Mm, crazy, right? Um, one of them is going to be like this episode. They're probably going to be... there's going to be longer. And so, about two hours, somewhere in there, it's going to be heavier, and it's going to be based on stuff that we're reading. When the heavy thing and the book thing, they kind of go together, don't they? Sure. Second episode is going to be shorter. It's going to be about an hour. This we haven't recorded one of those yet, so we don't we don't know. Um, and it's going to be a little lighter, a little funner. It's going to be about some of the weird stuff. You know, we're still going to get into deeper topics, but not as heavy as this. Like, for example, the episode that we're going to do, the next one, I'll just give you one little clue. Um, One of the things I'm bringing to that episode is they think they figured out who Jack the Ripper is. So I'm not sure what the release cycle of those is. Right now I'm thinking maybe heavy one on Monday, light one on Wednesday. So next time you hear us, it's going to be the light episode. So if this one's been too heavy for you, don't worry. We're going to shoot it in the foot right now. Um Lambda.
0: Nice that was smooth.
1: <laughs> uh how the hell are we end these things now? Oh yeah. Go to the website, please. I, I just revamped the website. It looks pretty sexy, I think. It took me a long time to find a website theme that I liked. Um sign up for the newsletter. Go go to Lamb's website and read the recent blog he did. He put up a pretty awesome poem that you should read. I think it's the favorite thing you've ever written.
0: Ugh my favorite it's,
1: it's painful it's just, but it's good. just
0: all it's all brutality now that's just 24 hours a day i'm basically I've, I've basically turned into the cliche that i never wanted to be <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a face
0: yeah it is you'll
1: get some good writing out of it you did already so do us uh, one other favor tell people about the show spread it spread it like uh, cream cheese yeah there it is there's the metaphor that makes sense but isn't interesting <laughs> just one more for you before we before we get out of here. Okay. Lamb, you want to say anything before I bid them adieu?
0: No, let's bid it adieu. Let's, let's shoot it in the foot. All right. Bye-bye, babies. Man. Where's,
1: our, how, where's your man. bye? Oh, fuck. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Lamb forgot how to do it already.
0: Bye. Bye. <laughs>